Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the gaming industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to learn about our online digital events. We have some amazing sessions with people in the gaming industry, and you can participate for free and purchase inexpensive passes to our industry-leading business-to-business system. Now, here we go, Indie Game Business. everybody my name is indy and the gentleman next to me is mr j powell from the powell group consulting and what is his position it depends it depends um it depends welcome to indie game business today we've got joshua garrity and he is the head game scout at secret mode and we are discussing what publishers are looking for in your game and i would also like to remind you gentlemen to unmute in discord that way when people come in there yeah, they I, totally won't be, I won't be getting that. private messages going on. I can't hear Jay. Jay's echoing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Joshua, we, we know each other well. Yes. But for everybody else who's listening, why don't you tell us how you originally got into the industry and then walk us through your career up to this point? Yeah, so um, I originally got in the into the industry because a friend recommended me for um, a role. Um, Like a lot of people post-university, I was kind of stuck in a lot of really not great jobs, like working retail. Then I did like a little bit of a stint in uh, community management for like like a Facebook account. And it was just, it was not a fun time. Um, and then uh, a friend of mine, uh, I hope he doesn't mind me calling him out, but uh, Darren Gargett was um, working for a company called Sold Out. Um, and um, he he had life stuff going on. He, he wanted to move on and, and do something different. Um, and so his role became available. And he told me, look, Josh, you should apply for this. You, you, you have the uh, knowledge, you have the skill set, like, I know you're in a rough place right now, just go for this job. Um, and I did. And and Darren recommended me. And, and uh, I did the classic thing of people who are new to the games industry, where I went to the job interview with like full suit and tie. And then the person interviewing me was just in a jean and jeans and a shirt. I was like, oh, okay, I'm overdressed. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I managed I managed to get the gig. Um, I started out um, more on the marketing side. So I, I did product management for stuff like, um, at the time it was um, physical games that sold out. So uh, ukulele, 
um, Worms WMD, sold out, had a partnership with Team 17. Um, and then I moved into more of a biz dev role. Um, at the time, my title was um, acquisition manager at Sold Out. And the goal was to, to build out uh, Sold Out's uh, digital portfolio. Um, at the time, Sold Out was just known for their physical partnerships with with various strategic partners. Um, and they wanted to, to create a catalog, a, a label for themselves. Um, and I ba was basically given a blank piece of paper and go, do what you want, right? Like, let, let, let's figure it out. Let, like, uh, here's your trial by fire. And it very much was. Uh, like all the mistakes that I, I you know, uh, you, know you, ha you have to make in your career, I made in that job. Um, but I feel like I came out the other side of it um, with a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience. I, I spent six years at Sold Out. Um, and I'm really proud of of the games that I signed there. So one one notable game that I'm really proud of was Core Keeper, which really um, broke out in early access like a, a year or so uh, ago. Um, it, it's a shame I wasn't that sold out when that that launched. I would have liked to celebrate with uh, everyone else, but um, yeah, I was really happy with that. But also there's stuff like Shadows of Doubt um uh silk but loads of games i signed over there that I'm, I'm really proud of um i should say that sold out have changed their name now it's fireshine before uh my former bosses hear this and, and start shouting at me um uh from from sold out uh slash fireshine i i moved over to team 17 and became one of their um, uh, senior uh, senior game scouts um, worked under Jasper Barnes there, uh, who is a great uh, great uh, head game scout over there. Um, and then about eight months ago, uh, I was offered a really exciting position to um, head up the uh, scouting slash greenlight team um, here at Secret Mode. Um, and yeah, so um, should I just dive straight in about like what Secret Mode is and, and how it came about? You can dive right into whatever you want to dive right into. Um, Let's do it, Jay. Let's go. Um, just jump off the deep end. So um, Secret Mode, um, relatively speaking, is uh, a new publisher on the scene. Um, it was established like two, two, roughly two years ago, um, but it was established by Sumo Group. And Sumo Group, I mean, I feel like everyone listening to this podcast probably knows what Sumo Group is about. It's a collection of developers who do original IP and, and work for hire uh, for various uh, publishers out there. Um, basically, um, Secret Mode was set up for, for a dual purpose. Um, there was a desire from the wider Sumo group to have a path to market for their original IP that didn't involve kind of seeking out a, a third-party publisher, um, but also a desire to support external development teams and bring, you know, support indie, uh, indie to mid-tier projects as well. Um, and my primary role, um, within secret mode is to source those um, external development teams and those external projects and, and bring them through the uh, green light process. So what I mean, we do scouting as well. So I'm familiar yeah. with the, the overall, 
walk folks through what you do in the course of a normal day or week, because it's not all just like going out and, Ooh, I'm on Reddit and I found something, somebody posted and it's wishless Wednesday. And now I'm going to like <laughs> troll a bunch of stuff on Twitter. Tell everybody what a game scout does when you're working for, you know, a single publisher. I feel like a game scout is their network of contacts, right? Like, um, Yes, I do the thing that everyone does, where you you go on TIG Source and you and you go on Screenshot Saturday and all that jazz, right? And like we're you know going through Steam Next Fest right now as well and checking that stuff out. But really, it's that web of of contacts. It's that web of people that are constantly feeding you new opportunities. You know, being able to chase an agent down. Um, stuff like that and and going to events like um there's obviously the more kind of meeting having uh meeting heavy events like gdc and gamescom where it's like pitch 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 but sometimes you go to stuff like uh for example reboot develop blue um in croatia where it's more about like who do i not know like let's seek those people out and make contact um and get them on you know get them on my linkedin get them i get myself on their radar so when something appears in front of them that really cool pitch that really cool idea i'm at the top of their list to contact i'm the person they go to um getting to that point where your inbox is your kind of primary source of new opportunities rather than scouring and panning for gold via Steam is, I think, the position you want to be in as a, as a game scout. So I want to rewind for a second. You know, when you were talking about you made all the mistakes that somebody normally makes. The reason that we do this is so less and less people are going to end up making those mistakes. Mm. So when you started out, what was what were some of those immediate pitfalls? Because I'm sure you got the same amount of training that I got 25 years ago, which was none. Um, <laughs> yeah. What were some of those pitfalls that you saw early on as you were doing BD and even like a little bit of scouting back then? The, the, the biggest thing is um, what I refer to as um, the games that look pretty on their surface, that look inviting on their surface, but dig a little deeper and you realize they're built on a foundation of matchsticks and sellotape, right? Um, it's, um, it's, uh, it's, that, it's that further due diligence, right? Um, to, it's it's um, not taking anything at face value. Not, uh, I, I feel like biz dev game scouts just inevitably become untrustworthy sorts. Um, just uh, not untrustworthy as in we're untrustworthy. I mean, untrusting of other people, right? We, we, we've seen so many uh, videos and and demos that look impressive on their surface, and that's just not enough. Like, um, and when I first started out. Like I, I was, you know, blinded by, oh, look at the pretty visuals. <laughs> and then, um, you know, learning more and more that you, you like often like I feel like I'm like a guide for a game 
um, uh, kind of navigating it through the different departments of my company, right? And I feel like that that's absolutely essential is you need to, once it passes that kind of initial gut check of like, do I think this game is commercial? Do I fundamentally like this game? Like, right, now I need to get a producer's eyes on this. I need them to look the developer in the whites of their eyes and ask them the big questions. I need a marketing team to look at this. Um, I need a, uh, somebody who's uh, more financially knowledgeable than I am. Um, I have a very bird's eye view of all that stuff. I'm sure you do as well, Jay. But like, I I, I need somebody who really understands that shit to... Ooh. I nearly, uh, oh, you uh, can really totally up... cuss on this show. It's oh, okay. I can, I can swear. Yes. Oh, great. Yes. Okay, <laughs> who understands that shit? Um, uh, to to take a look at take a look at the numbers. Um, so I I feel like that's the primary lesson I've learned is to, um, yes, the your gut's there for a reason and it can tell you a lot, but you need to consult other people. You need to consult the experts because as a biz dev person. I'm only ever going to have like a, a bird's eye view on all these things. Like I have like a foundational understanding of a lot of aspects of game development, but you just at a certain point, you need the experts to come into the conversation. And a lot of that is learned through repetition because I've got a little deeper layer on it, but that's because I've been doing this for 25 years. I had a friend yeah. of mine yesterday. He goes, man, you just know all this stuff. And I'm like, it's like Groundhog Day. It's not like I know it. I've just been through <laughs> it more times than everybody else. So it's um, it, it's an interesting, it's an interesting place to be because yeah, there's so much that goes into it, but still at the end of the day, the game has to be fun. I mean, yeah. it doesn't matter about much of the rest of the stuff if it's not something that you enjoy. And that's yes. why, you know, it's it's important to have that person like you who is guiding it through because mm. you show it to the biz dev guy and they're like, I, what am I supposed to like here? And it's like, well, people are going to like this part. And yeah. that's what's going to drive the sale so you can do your P&L of Steam Spy and all that other stuff. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's a jack of all trades make sure the game is fun type thing yeah. yeah so when when you're going out and you're looking at things you know based on because you've now technically been doing this for three different companies so you've seen and three in some ways very different companies mm. um because team 17 isn't even what we would call an indie developer indie publisher anymore i mean they're up in that triple i realm yeah absolutely so what is it you are looking for First, when you get the link, whether it's a, a video or a build or whatever, what's that first thing you want to see? I, I need to get a sense of what the core loop of the game is, first and foremost. And then uh, second to that, a sense of personality, a sense of vibe. I totally understand um, that it's not always possible to have like a demo or a prototype that has like finished our assets and stuff like that. I'm more than happy to look at something that's a little bit rough and, and play around with it uh, and get a sense if the core loop is there, right? But you do need to have something in there, like an art deck, concept art, whatever, that communicates personality and what you're hoping the game will look like um, uh, in the finished product. Because 
um what i what i like to call it is it's the seven second uh steam wishlist test where you only have seven seconds to make an impression on steam before somebody clicks next and move moves on and if your screenshots if your art your your banner like everything if it doesn't invite people in if the personality isn't strong and pulling people in i don't it it, do, it almost doesn't matter how good the game is and i know that's really cynical right i know that's really it, and it may present the your audience as quite shallow but they kind of are right like they 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 they're just going to look at a few screenshots they're just going to look at the the banner and make a decision um you're not going to have time to make your argument about how cool your mechanic is. So it's it. Don't get me wrong, right? I, I that ultimately, in terms of like that wish list turning into a purchase, yes, like the the gameplay loop matters, the depth matters, all of that jazz matters. But that first impression, you're you're not going to get that sale until the people get you know a sense of that that personality and that vibe. Um, so I do think it's important to include some kind of um, conveyance of personality in your initial pitch. Um, I'll tell you what I don't want to see. I know this is probably a question that you had for later on, but like... I think it's optimistic that let, you let, have questions let's, written let's down. Let's go. Let's, oh, yeah. just, let, let, let's, let's just go to... Like, and I see this, it feels like, it feels obvious to me, but I see it, this the same mistake over and over again. Um, people who have very narratively led titles spend the first 20 minutes of their pitch giving me all of the background of their world, the lore, the characters, the different faction before they've ever told me what the game is and, and what it feels like and what it feels in the hand, right? And here's the thing. I, I trust that your storytelling is good. I trust that your characters are great, but those things are best experienced in context. You listing off like all these different factoids about your world building and, and your narrative in a presentation is boring. I'm sorry, but it is. Um, get me in the door first. Like, get me in the door through cool art. Get me through in the door with a cool mechanic, with cool systems, with like a one sentence pitch on your world, right? You can, I'm not saying don't include stuff about your story and, and your world building, but like, give me, give me the highlights, right? Like, give, give me like the core premise. Um, don't waste time um, explaining every little inch, explaining why that tree is there. Please don't do that. Um, get me in the door first. And then I will look at that stuff. And then we can talk about the narrative. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's one of the things that we talk about in our, you know, when we're saying, how do you build a, a pitch deck? Yeah. And one, I think it's generous of you to think that they have seven seconds. I mean, it's usually like three. And then there's the developers who yeah. spend the first five or six seconds with a slow fade on their logo. And we're like, no. No, Stop. put that at the end. Nobody cares. <laughs> yeah. But the analogy that I always use is go on Steam and go to the page for Skyrim or mm. Fallout 4. We all know they have ridiculous backstories and lore and 
all of that stuff in there. None of that is actually presented to you at that point. Exactly. You know, it's, hey, you're going to get cool magic powers that you can yell at people and kill dragons. Yeah. That is, is where you are. And so it is. And for a lot of developers, I know that they get tired. They go to a conference. We got GDC coming up and they're going to have to pitch their game 30, 40 times. You know, so yeah. on the flip side, the people like you and I have to listen to pitches like all day long and if you do if you don't come out and grab us and get us excited you know up for first foremost come wednesday or thursday at four in the afternoon our eyes are going to be glazed over and we're sure that you can make a wonderful deck building rpg life sim but you've got to get our attention somewhere before yeah. that yeah absolutely so how do you, when you've got the basics on what these developers are, or what the publisher is looking for? Yeah. One of the biggest things that we always hear from publishers is like that unwritten question. Is this game actually going to make it to completion? So right. how do you go about judging that when you've got, you know, the team and through whether it's phone calls or whatever you got to figure out, how do you try to judge whether or not that team is going to be able to finish the game if you all come in and publish it? So like I have some like initial questions that I I fire over to developers um, when they're, they're pitching to me initially. Um, I, I will drill them on stuff like, okay, um, it's great that you're using the Unity engine, but what version of Unity? Um, if you're using Unreal, how much of this is in Blueprints and stuff like that? Because I want to gauge, like, because if they say I'm using Unity, and but it's like a 2018 version, I'm like, okay, right. <laughs> so you're not keeping up to date. Like, it, it's just, and the worst thing, like, with Unreal, I, I understand why Blueprints is, is popular, right? Um, and it's great for an initial prototype. It's great for a presentation. Um, but for a publisher, when we're thinking about, like, not only releasing it on PC, but multiple platforms, uh, it being in Blueprints suddenly becomes, like, a bit of a problem. Uh, it, it just... Porting um, porting an Unreal game that's primarily using blueprints is is a nightmare. Um, so like it's it's these kind of like I I don't know the nuances of production. I don't know the nuances of programming. But the, there are these little questions that I can ask early on to gauge just like how much of a nightmare this this process is going to be. And if you pass those initial questions that's when I want to introduce you to the more serious people within secret mode who can, who can really drill into it. Um, I'm always going to want to put a development team um, in front of a producer or, or somebody who's, who's more familiar um, with the realities of, of developing a game. Um, uh, because um, I, I, I'm, I'm a glorified truffle pig. Like I, I, I find, I find the truffle and then I throw it over my shoulder and then I move on to the next truffle, uh, the next truffle. Uh, I, I, I haven't, you know, seen a game from start to finish. 
So I need I need those the, those voices. I need those people to 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 tell me honestly. Like I look I, talking with them. I don't believe them. Like they've overegged this. Like um, so yeah, that's important. I I also think like it, it's important to understand that like there is no development that goes perfectly. Um, every development has problem. Uh, every um, every uh, development plan inevitably hits a speed bump. Um, something blows up, right? That's just the, the reality of this business, right? Um, big red flag for me is when I ask a developer about what they're worried about, what potential risks are. They're all like, no, we've got it. It's fine. It's perfect. We've got everything covered. We're amazing. Right, okay, so this this production is going to be an absolute nightmare and I don't want to work with you, right? But the developers who are like, uh, um, honestly, um, we could use some help with 3D art. So if you know somebody that we can bring on board, that would be useful. Um, this mechanic, I'll be honest, is something we've never attempted before. So it might be worth building in some buffer into the development schedule to account for that. Those people, I trust a hell of a lot more. Um, I, I think um, this is true of every industry. This is not just applicable here, but um, I, I, I think you you realize that trust and respect is a far more valuable currency than than telling people what they want to hear. Like if you tell me the truth that this is not working, or you envision this being a problem. Um, that's not necessarily something I want to hear, but it means I trust you. It means when you tell me something, I believe what you're saying. But people who say everything, you know, everything's sunshine and rainbows all the time, I don't trust you. And I'm probably not going to sign your game. And, and even beyond trust, it's, it's like, I don't think you know what you're doing. Because yeah. Yeah. No one, but this is very important, though, because I think a lot of developers come into these pitch meetings and, and, and publisher meetings, and they have this impression that they have to present their game as like the easiest, safest solution across the board ever. And while a bit of that is true, we all know that shit's going to go sideways in, yeah. in this project. And, you know, to come in and just absolutely be up front and say, yeah. okay, listen, I, I love the fact that here's this game mechanic that we've never tried before, but we're going to make it the basis of our, our game. Okay. Yes. All right. Well, this will be an interesting production cycle, but hey, it could <laughs> be good. Um, it is. It's better off. I mean, hell, it's just like dating. It's like if you put a picture, if I'm on Tinder and I have a picture of Matthew McConaughey and then I show up at dinner and they're like, you are not Matthew McConaughey remotely possible. No, it's the same type of thing. Yeah. If you absolutely. give a publisher the honest truth about your project and they say no, that's fine. Because yeah. if they had said yes, I mean, if you didn't give them the full whatever, anyway, yeah. everybody needs to be safe. All right. So we've got a question that is like getting a lot of interest in here. Um, wait, hold on, hold on to that one, Dan, because everybody's asking about blueprints for porting. Um, what's wrong with blueprints for porting specifically? Is a fully blueprint driven game a no-go automatically for you? Yes, it is automatically a no-go for me if it's 100% blueprints. Um I, look, I'm the wrong person to ask in terms of the the nuances of why it's it's um, 
a problem. I just know that um, whether it be at um, Fireshine, whether it be at uh, Team 17, whether it be here at uh, Secret Mode, whenever I've talked to a producer and then told them uh, a game is 100% blueprints, this is their reaction. Okay. They put their, hat, their head in their hands and go, oh, no. Um, so, um, look, I, I, you'd, need to, you'd need to talk to somebody more experienced in that area to get the, the, the answer that you're actually after is like a concrete, defined reason as to why it's a bad idea. I just know that it's caused producers that I've worked with a massive headache in terms of porting over to other devices. Um, if it, look, I, I, and I'm saying it's an automatic no if it's a hundred percent blueprints, right? I'm not saying it's an automatic no if there's blueprints in there whatsoever. If the kind of foundation of the game is is original code, and then there are you know parts of it that are in blueprints, you know, um, I'm really revealing that I I'm not a programmer here, but you know what I mean. Um, uh like that that's still of interest right I, i'm not gonna just dismiss that out of hand but it's a real red flag if it's 100 percent blueprints yes and so yeah and, and i'm with you i don't know enough about the tech side as well but right. i know that there are red flags that pop up in our stuff and i can't tell you why i just know every time i turn around and tell a client that you know this game is using the one i usually get the most is is it using um art from the asset store it looks like this looks like asset store art and i'm like well it's a demo it's, it's you want to see gameplay that's fine yeah. and so yeah a lot of these questions i mean it's, it's not a universal truth not every publisher is going to turn around and say oh for the majority of blueprints we don't want it but there are i mean our new publisher list is almost ready there's 500 publishers out there so for everyone that says it's a problem there's another one that says it's not a problem yeah but yeah, don't don't pin Josh and I down too much on technical stuff because we just we just know what we get told sometimes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and like your your analogy about like dating earlier, as much as people may cringe at that, it, it is true. Like it's not just about being being the best version of yourself so every publisher says yes like that's not that's not the way to view it it's a compatibility thing right uh, another pub one publisher's no is another publisher's yes right um yeah. sometimes you're just like fundamentally not what that publisher's looking for they may mm -hmm. the person you're talking to may even like your pitch and they go it's just not what we're, it's not on my shopping list, you know. Like it, it's it's I'll pass you on to somebody who might be interested, but it's just not for us right now. So um, yeah, don't you know? Take everything I say with a little bit of a pinch of salt, because what I'm looking for is not what every game scout is looking for. Well, all right. So our our, our first big question here. This is a really good question too. Um, if a game's already running a live service like an MMO. It has an audience and it just lasts marketing power. Is that an appealing game to a publisher? And if so, how would you approach publishers in such a case? Depends on the size of the audience and it depends how long the game has been out for. Um, with marketing, um, I would view it as like a wave, uh, a wave of excitement, right? And a wave of attention. And that wave is at its highest for your initial launch. 
Um, I think with early access is a little bit more complicated. Like you get like a peak for the early access launch and then the 1.0 launch is probably your biggest peak there. But generally speaking, your launch is the highest that peak will ever be. And then as time goes on, that it goes lower and lower and lower, right? And um, if you grab on, if you grab on, early enough post-release, if it's like, you know, a few months post-release and it's still here somewhere, okay, maybe that's worthwhile. It's gotten, what, it's gotten like 50, 100K um, sales. Okay, that maybe we could do something with that. Maybe. Um, but if you've like barely broken like 5,000 players, nah. Uh, and if it's like six months, a year down the line, absolutely no. Um, so it, it, it depends is my answer to that. It depends on other factors. It depends on how large the audience is and how much time has passed. So, John, I'll tell you, you have to start thinking outside the box. Traditional yeah. publishers like Secret Mode? No. Because yeah. Josh, Josh was right. I mean, once you launch... I mean, we've got publishers who don't even want to see something if it's been announced in early access because they think they've already missed the boat on that. Mm -hmm. However, especially on the mobile side, there are multiple publishers and investment companies, not necessarily like even investment firms, but like companies that do what I call spreadsheet analysis investing. And so if you go to them, what you're describing is exactly what they're looking for because they come to us and say, we need you to help us find the things that are the diamonds in the rough that have good KPIs, but they just couldn't get enough eyeballs on it to, you know, through user acquisition to get it up in the, in the food chain. So there are publishers, investors that look for that sort of stuff, but you've got to really start looking outside the normal box of traditional publishers. Uh, all right. So... All right, for indies breaking into the scene, what's the best stage in development for them to begin looking for publishing? Um, if you're an indie and you don't have a previous track record, you need something playable. You need a prototype. Um, uh, it, the, there's no getting around it. Like I need, I need to see evidence of execution. Um, if you're more experienced and you've got a track record and you have like a few uh, commercially successful releases under your belt, I am more willing to entertain something at a paper pitch stage. Um, but if you're just breaking out into the scene, you need to you need to present something playable. Hold on, I'm I'm, I'm flipping through more of the questions while while you're answering. Um, all right, what was the one? Dan, pop that next one up there. So how do you balance pitching something too much as a product versus a game? Hmm. We were told to both not overly focus on it being a game, but also to use the, this is the problem, this is the solution format like they do in tech. That's interesting. I'm very I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know if I, I personally would want to see a pitch like that personally like I, I i need to be sold on the game first right like um th th there's 
there's no point going into the business side if I don't have a fundamental belief um, in the creative vision of the title. So, like, I, I the the kind of vision of the title should be should represent the front the the front half of your pitch, right? And then if I'm in, if I'm through the door, I'm like, I'm bored. I'm on board. Right. Let's get to the boring stuff. Um, um, you know, I'm more, I'm more, you know, open to like the business case. Um, once, once I'm sold on the idea, um, I guess in terms of the way I'd want to pitch, um, how the balance, I, I guess half and half. Um, and I'm I, that's my instinctive answer based on the successful pitches that I've seen in the past. Um, so yeah. Um, but I'm not sure I I, I, I would want to see a pitch that presents it the way the tech industry presents stuff. Like, yes, tech is an important part of our medium, but we're we're this is an art form, right? Like we should treat it like like a movie. We should treat it like a a, a novel, whatever. Like like the creative vision matters, not just the tech. So um, I'm not sure I agree with the feedback that you got. I, I, I too am very curious as to who gave them that feedback because yeah. one of the biggest problems that we see with people who come from tech into games, and I see this mainly on the investor side, is they don't understand the fact that it's you're not creating an app. You, you can't say, yeah. here's the problem. The problem is people aren't playing enough card-based deck building games. Here's the solution, another card-based deck building game that doesn't work you know no. that you you have to be able to find the fun in there and that's where that whole game part comes in it's it's not like some kind of you know we've had this in the past we've, we've worked with teams so they're like well i don't understand why this game's off track we've got a plan for it it's like yeah you did but that plan involves a game that just sucks you've got to find yeah. something that's fun and get it in there so yeah yeah i'm, I'm with you, you on that you, one i don't yeah, necessarily the, like the tech approach like like uh, games are not tech in the way that we're talking about tech that they're, they're like their solution that it is useful to frame it that way because there's solutions to problems like well people don't like ringing up um taxis so let's make it really convenient by creating the uber app right like etc etc but like games this is <laughs> this is a weird way of framing it games don't need to exist right Movies don't need to exist. Books don't need to exist. They exist because we just inherently enjoy the experience of them, right? And that's the way you should frame the initial argument for your game. It's like, why is the inherent experience of playing this game something that I want to do above anything else that I could be doing right now? Like, I am choosing to interact with this because I don't have to. I don't have to, but I'm choosing to. That's the way to frame it. Well, I don't know if we have like truly intrigued the audience or truly pissed them off, but we've <laughs> got like a ton of people that are watching and asking good questions. So I hope you don't have anything like pressing that you need to do in 20 minutes because we I, might. I'm free. So okay, let's, let's we, this go. this might be a long one. All right, so I'm going to pull these. If you have questions. The easiest thing to do is to pop them in chat in the stream, whether on YouTube or Twitch or LinkedIn or wherever you are. Um, otherwise, you can pop them in the podcast questions on the Discord server. Dan is fast and furiously pulling those over. So I'm going to be just pulling these questions in. Um, 
what do you think of publishing deals just for promotion? You know, if the studio can already cover its development costs, but it wants your expertise and specialists for promoting it only. Uh, I love them. <laughs> because uh, in that situation, you know, um, we would still want to have like a degree of um, oversight and insight into the, the the development process, just because like you can't have a marketing plan without insight into like when certain milestones are going to be hit, right? Um, but in terms of reducing risk on a project, this this is one of those things, right? Like we get to focus on we what we do best, and you focus on what you do best. Um, and uh, like often, like this does mean that um, uh, the development partner will have a more favorable split on the the royalty side of things. So it's it's better for you if you can cover dev costs. It's just that um, this is a rarity. Like you you don't often encounter this kind of deal. So when I see it, absolutely, yeah, I, I, I'll entertain it. It's just it's a bit of a unicorn most of the time. So next question, do publisher funds cover living costs like rent and food? No. So yes, they do. Do they? Well, in terms of salary, I guess. Yes. You yeah. don't want to you don't want to put the line item in there. Yes, this is my rent every month. Right. This okay. Is, this is my Sorry. food. Yeah, yeah, yes. we, 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 you should put in what you're worth as a worker. So in that context, yeah, okay. <laughs> guess we are paying for rent and food. But I guess like <laughs> I don't know. The way that question was worded just just uh, it's interesting because i've had this came up on the on the discord or on twitter or somewhere earlier this week so this is obviously a question and i think it goes back to the fact that you know so many developers come to us and say okay look so there's six of us and we live in london and it's going to take two years to make this game and our development budget is three hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and we're going no what the hell because yeah. they aren't putting their own salary in there because they don't think okay that it should cover it um but yes uh, okay fr fr framed in that way and not my initial read of that question <laughs> uh yes um put what you're worth in the development budget of the game like uh you you should like take a salary God's sake, like, yes, yes. And, and, and the other ask of that, the other side of that answer is you need to factor in when you're building that budget and your salary, what it's going to be when you're working full time on this project, not nights and weekends like you've been doing, because yes. no publisher is going to finance you working part time on, on a game. No. Um, all right. So. We're going to get back into the um, blueprint discussion, which is very interesting on the Discord, by the way. Um, what if a game primarily uses 3D assets from one of the marketplaces for its level design? How does this affect your view of the game, or does it make any difference at all? Uh, I would want to know the full details of um, the assets that you're using and the various legal licensing loopholes that we would have to jump through to to enable to use uh, in order to use those it's not it's not an automatic like red flag for me as long as as long as it's all you know within the bounds of what's legal right like if it's okay to use those assets then fine 
Um, I would prefer games that have original assets that the developers have created themselves because they just always look better. Um, but as long as we we do our due diligence and every I is dotted and every T is crossed, um, I don't I don't automatically think that's bad. Is that your final answer? What's your, what's no, your I'm answer? I'm just screwing. All right. So this is a good one, and this is going to, I already know this is going to fall very much in the it depends category. What are the requirements that a vertical slice should have, or even the opposite, what should it not have? Uh, it depends. <laughs> um, uh uh, it really does, unfortunately. It, it depends on uh, your level of experience, um, your track record, projects that you've worked on in the past. Um, if I'm getting a pitch from a major developer that's uh, proven that they can execute and they've um, created really commercial IP, they can present to me a white box environment with a little QB dude walking around interacting with stuff and that's a-okay um, as long as the they expresses the mechanic if you're a new dev and um you haven't put something out into the wild before i am going to want to see something more substantial i don't it doesn't need to be perfect i'm not expecting it to be glitch and you know uh bug free I'm not expecting all the art assets to be in there, et cetera, et cetera. But you, you do have to, I, I want to see a level. I want to see the, the kind of the, 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 a kind of a glimpse at the full expression of what you're, what you're aiming for in that initial, that initial build. Um, so yeah, it, it depends on your experience. Um, the less experience you have, the more I want to see. All right, so the second half of that question that I didn't show you because I didn't want to influence your answer. They've been working on the vertical slice for eight months, and despite the positive reception from the community, we're unsure whether to go down the pitch route or not. Yes, if you have positive reaction from the community, you're ready to pitch. Yeah, okay. and and um, my advice is also screen cap some of those positive reactions and, and include that as part of the pitch. Um, because if you can prove that there's an audience for the game, like, great. All right. Next, how important is it whether a game follows the market trend or not? Is it possible to publish a game that is completely out of the trend? And if so, how do you assess the game's marketability? So it is. Um, it is possible to publish a game that's completely out of the trend. Um, so we we had an experience of that recently. Um, Secret Mode uh, published uh, a little to the left which is a 2D puzzle game. And all business um, analyst logic would tell you that releasing a puzzle game on Steam right now is a fool's errand. And yet it performed incredibly well. And we're very, very happy um, with how that did. But it it is an exception to the rule. And I think the reasons why it is an exception to the rule have less to do with the genre that it's in and more to do with... Um, the condition, the context in which that game was announced, the art direction of that game being unique, um, and it kind of uh, really leaning into the 
the wholesome games movement and the wholesome vibe that is kind of an upward trend going on at the moment. Um, I guess uh, my my view of this is the same way that I view kind of analytics data in that it's important to have that information to, um, to hand. It's important that that's feeding into your decision-making. Um, it should not be the sole thing that you, uh, you know, make a decision on. Um, the best, the, honestly, the best pitches for me tend to be something that has a foot on what's on trend and also has a foot in the unfamiliar and the different. Um, if I see something, if I see another game that's just Hades, but with a slightly different art style, I'm going to scream. Uh, I don't want to see any more Hades clones. Go away. But what but, if I do it with Scandinavian gods no, and not Greek gods? No, Shay. I don't, <laughs> don't want to see another Hades clone. But if you present to me a roguelike that understands why Hades was successful, but takes a radically different kind of mechanical approach, there's a different framework, all that jazz, that's suddenly more exciting to me because it tells me that you've actually dug a little bit deeper, that dug beyond the surface and tried to examine why Hades was successful and look at what could be transferred on, onto something that's radically different to that, that concept. So uh, I keep giving wifty, wafty answers to these questions. I guess like y you need to be aware. You need to, be, you need to know what's on trend, but don't be ruled by what's on trend. Indie Game Business has one of the longest running digital event series in the gaming industry with hundreds of publishers, investors, developers, and tech companies to meet with. All the sessions are always free to watch forever, and you can get a free pass to receive all the slide decks from all the speakers. The tickets for meetings start just at $50. Go to IndieGame.Business and use the code IGBPODCAST to get 20% off your ticket. another question that came in that is just absolutely perfect right now so what genres do you feel are currently oversaturated speaking of staying on trend and not going off trend um oversaturated is an interesting question because the there's oversaturated um in a bad way which is 2d platformers where um there's so many that flooding um all the the store platforms um but they're also like universally not performing that well at the moment either it's one of those genres that's really popular partly because i think they're kind of e easy is a strong word comparatively on a curve in terms of other genres are, are probably something it's like my first game is a two, 2d platformer right so i understand why first time devs are drawn to that genre but 
there's loads of them. It's hard to stand out, and also they're just not they're not doing that well. Um, but then there's oversaturated because it it is a a really strong genre in terms of commercial value, like the roguelike. Um, and in in that situation, it's a double edged sword. Like you know, you have an addressable audience. You you know you have an audience that's hungry for that title, but the competition is that much stiffer, and it's just it's that much harder to make your mark, and it's that much harder to uh, to stand out. Um, so it becomes all the more important that you have something genuinely unique um, about your game that's going to get you that cut through. That's going to get you get you that. Uh, um that um that coverage um i'm not really answering your question i've just taken your question to talk about something else entirely everybody's gonna have a different version of what's overly saturated i would have argued three weeks ago that i was completely done with deck building games until i started playing midnight suns and i was like okay this is a unique take yeah this is a unique take on it yeah and you could have easily argued four years ago that that platformer was oversaturated and then Celeste came along. And, yeah. you know, so there are there are certain genres, and even if you break down genres into certain Steam tags mm. that are completely flooded, and yes, you're going to, you know that a lot of people love this, but you also have to compete. You know, a, a good friend of mine, looked at somebody and said that's a nice platformer but why is somebody going to play it instead of playing hollow knight and it's like if you can't answer that there's a problem um you just got to be different it's not it's it's less about the genre and you know that sort and more about just not being hades with thor that that's exact that's exactly it right like if if you're in an oversaturated space you can still find success but you have to be honest with yourself are you bringing something new to the table if the answer is i just like hades and i wanted to make a game that's kind of like hades you're not going to be successful you could you could sometimes so uh, I'm just, yeah, if the like, there's fast follow situation. Where's like, it over here? It depends. It, it, it depends. It depends. Um, How many vampire survivor clones are we going to see in the next oh year? Oh my god! Yes, I've already seen so many. Um, <laughs> just so many. I I, I, um, I, won't, I won't put you down that route, but I mean that's <laughs> that that's what happens. Um, yeah. All right, so we've already covered like the first part of this to an extent. But the second part of this question is, is very good. For developers who are going out there and pitching for the first time, are there resources for teams earlier on? Aside from all the sh- that we do on indie game business and the Discord with like 5,000 people on there that can help you. No, aside from that. I mean, yeah. Um, if if we're talking in terms of funding, there's, there, there's always like some initiative that's... Um, uh, local to you that that will provide support. So here in the UK, we have the UK Games Fund, um, where you can apply and you go through this process of evaluation. And at the end of it, you can you can win a pot of money that will help support support your title. Um, uh, if 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 you live in Germany or Canada, you're 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 really lucky um, because um, the government in in those countries provides a lot of support um, to developers. Um, uh, the the German government um, 
if if you're a publisher and if you've got a publisher and you apply they can cover half your dev cost um which massively reduces the risk for any partner you're you're looking to uh to to uh to to work with um so yeah there, there are lots of resources um less on the funding side and more on the the kind of like getting advice and 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 getting feedback side of things um i always push uh developers towards the the tig source forums in terms of like that's a place where you can be amongst your peers and get valuable feedback on your plans on your pitch and, and it's not it's not really something that um games journalists or the wider public kind of like dive into because stuff is so early there stuff is so rudimentary there but you've got there's loads of peers there loads of experienced people who've gone down that road before who who can give you advice so it's it's well worth getting involved in either that or an equivalent of that that's out there because there's there's like i'm just naming a few but there's loads of stuff um yeah so yes there's there's loads of resources out there and and in terms of other types of knowledge-based resources i I mean yes the stuff we do here i mean the next indie game business conference is coming up 8th and 9th of um, march so you can use that to literally prep pitches for going to gdc or the reason we do it in all told is so for all the people who can't afford to go to gdc more talks like this so if you like what we're doing now it's it's free if you want to meet with publishers and pitch your game a ticket's like 50 bucks and if you can't afford that message me dm me if you've got a demo that's ready to pitch i'll give you a pass that's why we do these things um is it worth to initiate contact with publishers early for feedback or will they just ignore you if you don't make a good first impression uh depends it depends um if you already know me and you met me at an event like gdc or reboot and we had a good time and we chatted and you didn't have something to present to me there but like i got a good feeling and i added you on linkedin um and uh, most importantly i've seen your face i've talked to you i know you right in that situation Okay, yeah, so send me over something just to get some first impressions. Yeah, yeah, I'll, 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 um, I'll, I'll send you some feedback. Um, but you have to understand if you're if you're approaching a game scout or anyone in biz dev, uh, just off the cuff, like no initial contact whatsoever, no meeting in person. You have to understand that my inbox is a demon that I spend every day trying to slay. Um, and like, if I don't know you and you're just saying, here's a word document, what do you think? I will ignore you. I'm sorry, because I have 150 unread emails that I need to get to that, uh, and some of them are way more pressing and way more urgent. So, um, assess your relationship with the person you're sending that, 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 uh, initial impression to. If you're if you're already familiar with them, if you feel like you're friendly with them, yeah, I, I could I'll provide feedback to people. Yeah, sure. If I don't know you, I'm not doing it. Oh, along those lines of who you know, do you prefer working with solo developers or bigger teams, and what are the main differences? Um, uh, 
I feel like those are two like extreme ends of the spectrum. Uh, I prefer working with teams, full stop, um, because I do believe in people having you know strengths and weaknesses, having specialisms, and you reduce risk when you've got you know specific people covering s- specific parts of the game, um, and inevitably. Um, solo development teams aren't actually solo development teams because I, I I can't think of a project, even ones that are advertised publicly. Oh, it was made by one person, and I'm just thinking, yeah, and this freelancer, 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 and this person did the music, and this freelancer, and this freelancer, and this freelancer. Um, I don't think true solo development actually exists. Um, but uh, so you you can make it work if somebody has a strong strong vision um and and is g- genuinely like a polymath they still will need help they will still need support like that's inevitable but i i i can see i can see signing a project with those people um but it's always better to have a team in my view it doesn't have to be a big team but a team is good um cool sorry no, no worries. Um, all right, so Chief Wiggum on Twitch had a question, but we're not going to hit this one yet because this is like a really big one. And for those of you who aren't in Twitch and didn't see it, go to the Indie Game Business page on Teachable or just go to IndieGame.Business and from the pull down, it'll have like online courses. We literally have two free courses that cover exactly this. But I will summarize this entire question with um, it depends. Yeah. That's the... Um, that's the reality of it. Um, all right. How do you pitch a story-rich game like a CRPG, like Disco Elysium, where it, <laughs> when everybody is telling you that the story in the pitch is boring? Um. So, I, I have to, I have to admit, I, 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 I'm not sure how you overcome that problem because I'm pretty sure the the developers behind Disco Elysium encountered the same problem when they were pitching the game initially um uh i think when it was actually uh, it wasn't called disco elysium initially it was called something of the furies um i've forgotten the exact name apologies folks um but when they were doing the rounds um back then uh people really liked the art direction people really liked um uh the personality and vibe but um that you can't get away from it. That game is just very text heavy and very story heavy. Um, and an initial demo, um, that's not going to grab people the way a more action orientated game is. I guess I think a lesson that I would learn from Disco Elysium is it does it does have mechanics that um, you can focus on, and it does have systems that you can focus on. It's just not immediately apparent that those things are things you should celebrate when you're first playing the game. So, like the most, like for me, something I love about Disco Elysium is it takes the different aspects of your personality and turns it into an RPG party. Like your your empathy is like um, is like Vincent Valentine in uh, in Final Fantasy VII, right? Um, and like conversations become a battle. So talking about the game in those terms, about like what is the experience like? What is what is the minute to minute um, 
um, play? Um, uh, what are the conversations like? Because the conversations in Disco Elysium feel like a fight. Even though they're not a fight, they feel like one. Um, so I guess like conveying that, conveying feel, convey, conveying tone, conveying what's unique mechanically about your game that enhances your story is, is the path forward. You you just don't want to get bogged down in the details. Um, that's the issue. It's when you're going into the the backstory of Ravishol and um, what what why Harry Dubois is so depressed. Like that that's not going to work in a pitch. It works in context, but it doesn't work in a pitch. Um, focus on the broader stuff. Very serious question. What is the biggest risk you face when publishing indie games? What's the biggest risk I faced when publishing indie games? I guess um, that the developer can't deliver, uh, can't finish it. Um, that's certainly something I encountered early in my career. It's not something that I've really encountered um, in recent history. Uh, because I've built in too many uh, questions that would would flag that earlier and um, do due diligence processes that get a, a real sense of whether the, the problem points are going to be. But yeah, the biggest risk is they just can't finish it. Uh, they, they bit off more than they can chew. And suddenly you have this revenue gap that's not going to be filled. And, and this is why we talk about paying yourself a real salary yeah. in, you know, in that budget that you're given to the publisher, because yes, this, I haven't seen it. I have seen the warning signs of this still very recently, but in terms of actual in practice and these projects getting by the publishers and actually getting picked up, it used to be a very real thing that we all knew. Now this was like 15, 20 years ago that if a developer came to us and said they needed half a million dollars, they probably actually needed about $800,000 because they weren't factoring in everything. And when you don't factor all of these things in, you end up with a project where you get to, you know, beta, and then all of a sudden you're turning around looking at the publisher going, we don't have any more money and we still need to get this stuff done. So yeah, that whole part of, is it actually going to get finished and make it to market is generally the big question because none of the sales and comps matter if it's not going to make it to market. But this is exactly why we say, make sure you're paying yourself enough because yeah. you don't want to get down that road and then be like, okay, well, you know, we're done. We're, we're finished. Um, Another one that comes up very frequently are projects in certain game engines, and it's generally Game Maker where you know, this question comes from. Are they automatic no goes? Um, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I guess like I, I'm on, I'm on sure a footing if you just say Unity or Unreal, because it, it's not just. The way to think of it is it's not just um, that you're in a certain game engine. It's kind of if something goes wrong or you need support in a certain area, how easy is it for me as a publisher to source that support, to source that talent in order to help you fix that problem? Um, and the more niche your game engine is, the harder it is to do that. Whereas if, if you're in Unity and Unreal, there is a wealth of talent. There's a wealth of skill, not just out there in the wilderness, but 
often within the publisher, especially if you're working with a developer publisher hybrid like Team 17, right? Like they're going to have the skill sets for those engines in house. Um, whereas with the more, you know, the more obscure engines, that that becomes more difficult. Um, I, I want to say it's not an automatic no, uh, but be prepared for uh, for more uh, more strict due diligence than somebody making a Unity uh, a Unity or Unreal game is going to get. You're going to have your game picked over with a fine tooth comb if you do pick uh, a more obscure engine. It, it generally comes down to. I mean, every publisher and every developer should be trying to maximize the money that they make out of their project. Yeah. And if you <clears throat> make something in some of the, I don't know, second tier engines, they're not bad engines. They do what they need to do. Hmm. But, you know, a PC console publisher, if you're pitching a game on PC, they want to be able to port that over to console and leverage some additional revenue. And some of these engines, it's just hard to do that. So you're very, you're, you're limiting your marketability. Yes. All right, next, Lee, what are your thoughts on the market indie viability of PvP arena shooters like Splitgate versus co-op horde shooters like Deep Rock Galactic? Damn, we are getting specific at this point. <laughs> um, multiplayer games are, are really interesting. Um, uh, my view, granted, like to take into account that my experience is in the indie to mid tier specifically like i can't i can't speak to to above that right but personally i think co-op is um more likely to lead to success than pvp because at least with a co-op game it often it's still possible to play it single player um or you only need a small party of people to get a game going um i think with pvp the moment people get a whiff that like the servers are empty or something like that your game is in tailspin uh and it's it's irrecoverable um like P pvp is so reliant on there being like a vibrant community for your game to be successful i mean and when i say a vibrant community i mean right from the off right with a co-op game you can build towards that i think like um, but with PvP, you have to hit the ground running, um, and that's scarier to me. Um, so I, I would I would err towards co-op personally. Hey, Rick, wrong one. Dan had to run, so everybody's based on me running this show now. So things are going to go a little bit sideways here and there. <laughs> Do budget numbers for a game influence a publisher's decision? Yes. Do we have to avoid missing it in the initial pitch? Should you be talking about budget when you're pitching your game? Uh, absolutely. Like you should have the big number in mind, the, the dev budget in mind when initially pitching. But this comes back to the compatibility thing, right? Um, like an, a, a one publisher's no on budget is going to be another publisher's yes. Um, it, just because a publisher says no to you based on budget um, doesn't necessarily mean there's anything wrong with your budget. It's just that that publisher 
has been uh, and that game scout has been told we're looking for stuff at this range this range this range and this range um can you fill those slots um and sometimes your budget is either smaller than what we're looking for because it communicates kind of scale and ambition um uh, and like possible srp as well um and sometimes it's a little bit too big and there's nothing wrong with your pitch we're just the wrong publisher for you um so the, the answer is yes and yes to both your questions um but not necessarily for for the reasons you might think like it's not always a negative it's just sometimes it's an issue of com compatibility yeah like we say there is a publisher for most every type of game out there yeah. it's a matter of finding the right one um and so yeah go to our website and make sure you're on our newsletter list because our publisher our 2023 publisher list should launch next week and so if you're on that you're going to get it immediately um that's the biggest thing that we usually see with developers is they don't realize how many options that they actually have um <laughs> you're crushing dreams joshua if you're making a story rich first person shooter that introduces no new game mechanics should you give up now yes <laughs> oh i just like if you if you're releasing a first person shooter that has no nothing new. You're you're you are saying in that question it has nothing new to offer. Then what what are you doing? Like I I, I don't know. Like my my instinct is yeah. Like I I just if you have a cool art style, if you've got like a unique visual style and like the the one sentence pitch for your story just draws me in. Okay, maybe yeah. But like we're an interactive medium. What makes us unique as a storytelling medium is is the way that how it feels in the hand, like you interacting with the space. And if you're just making a first person shooter that's Call of Duty, or if you're just making a first person shooter that's Doom, then I'd ask you to think more outside the box and think a little bit bigger. I don't okay. know. That's it right there. All right. And so I'm going to brag on myself for a minute and, and draw in a very worthwhile analogy. There was an article in PC Gamer this morning about mm. six or seven games, old school games that greatly influenced today's industry that nobody remembers. Number three or four is a game called Painkiller. And yeah. I was the one who represented People Can Fly. I was the one who got them the publishing deal for that game. Yeah. That is an example of something that wasn't necessarily new. I mean, what they had, what they did was they took the old school doom type tons of, you know, old school doom, not like new school. Yeah. 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 Where, you know, there's just enemies flying at you left and right and they made it fun. There wasn't necessarily something new that they brought to it. I mean, even the story wasn't that great. It was like, okay, you're a fallen angel fighting demons, but they took something that, used to be more prevalent and reimagined it. So if you're working on a story-rich FPS that introduces no new game mechanics, don't give up. But yes, like Joshua says, keep iterating on it. Chances are yeah. there's something you can do in there that either hasn't been done at all or hasn't been done recently. For God's yeah. sake, do not put a deck builder in a first-person shooter, though. I don't want to do that. <laughs> 
But I guess, I guess, like with with the comment that you made, like, yeah, okay, everything's a remix, right? Like, there's no true original ideas, but like, yeah, in, in that case, in that context, what Painkiller was doing was new because it took something that you know people have put down and picked it back up again. And and that's true of um with uh Demon Souls with with From Software, right? Like for, Demon Souls isn't actually that new. They were actually drawing on the games that they made earlier in the the PS1 era, um, like Shadow Tower. Um, but those ideas weren't popular back then. Like they they didn't get traction. And then suddenly in 2008, people care about those mechanics. So Maybe going back into the history book and thinking that was a good idea. Why did that not get traction then? Maybe it'll get traction now. That's 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 a valid approach. I'm not laughing at you. Yeah, I'm laughing at this. So there's a hope for my deck builder visual novel FPS. You know what? Yes, Depends. just don't just don't send it to us. That's the I, I I don't think yeah I don't think I'm shopping for that. Um, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it depends who you're talking to. Oh, God, this is fun. Okay, all right. Um, I have an answer to this one. Uh, I want to know if, if you do. What is uh, the biggest the... one that got away? Uh, 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 can I Can I freely talk about this? Um, if you have to ask yourself, the answer is probably not. Probably no. I I am not sure that I am allowed to say what the the biggest one that got away is. What I will say is there definitely is more than one. There's probably two or three. Oh, yeah. Um and if you find me drinking at GDC uh or develop or what have you and I get a little bit loose-lipped, ask me that question and I'll tell you. The, the reality is that anyone who has been doing this for any amount of time has yeah. these. Yeah. Mine is Battlefield 1942, which started the entire series. We were back in the days when I was an agent, we were working with the publisher who did Codename Eagle. And mm. the dice said, okay, we're going to, we have this new game coming up, which was 1942. And, but we're not going to use that publisher. And so they came to us and said, you know, will you represent us? And we knew it would cause a problem with the current client. And so the question in the office was, do we stay loyal to our client or do we go and shoot this new thing? And we stayed loyal to our client who stayed in business about 18 months after that. Um, and then the flip side of it was the entire Battlefield series with EA. So that was my biggest one. But yeah, it's, it's any of us, those of us who've done this for a long time, you catch us in a bar and yeah. we'll start trading stories because somebody else passed over something that I or my clients took a, took advantage of later on. It, it all goes full circle. Jay, Jay, do you have an I told you so list? Uh, I Yes, that I can't talk about <laughs> that. I literally just pointed out to a uh, someone this week. I, <laughs> I have a lot of those. <laughs> That's the thing about being a consultant. See, you you are in-house. You work with a publisher. We're not. And so yeah. that's the biggest frustration that we see when we're scouting for people. It's like we show somebody a game. We're like, this is going to be big. And they're like, eh, and they don't do it. I can't make them take it. Because uh, this is the situation I've had where I've really believed in a game. And I'm like, 
yeah, that's a winner. And then I try to sell the rest of the business on it and I'm just not going to, I'm not getting traction and having to go back to a developer or an agent and going, look, I'm, I am a hundred percent on board, but it's just not going to fly. Like that kills me, especially yes. when like two years, three years later, it comes out and it does exactly what I said it was going to do. And I send an email going, I told you so. <laughs> like, it, it it's even a tougher pill to swallow when you're that agent and you could have been making a commission on those millions of copies sold for, yeah. for years and years. But yeah, yes, we, yeah. we 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 all we all have that frustration. All right. So if you have solid art test and a visual identity, is it necessary that the visual style be implemented in engine in a prototype, or is gray boxing sufficient when paired with art tests? Um, I would say yes. Um, I, I, don't get me wrong. Like you're going to have an easier time of it if if you have um, that art implemented within uh, with it in in engine. Um, but um, I, uh, you can you can at least get through the early stages with a gray box demo, as long as you have something that conveys personality and the visual style. I might come back to you at a later date and say, look, it's gotten past, you know, it's gotten past this stage of the green light process. We just need to see this art implemented in engine to get you to pass, you know, past the latter stages, and then we're good to go. That might happen. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm fine with gray box paired with, paired with, uh, with uh, a portfolio. And it all goes back to the more experience that you already have, the yeah. easier it is to get by with less initially. Yeah. All right. Is a business plan something you need to see as a as a publisher? And at what point do you need to see it? A business plan. I want to see a production plan. I want to see a dev schedule. Um, but um, as, as somebody like, because I, I I primarily work with external partners. Like my 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 trust is that you know how to to run your business, right? Like I I'm not I'm not doing like equity style investment. Like that's not how we you know the publishers that I've worked with operate. We're 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 funding a project, so I want to see the plan for the project. I want to see the plan for the 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 development of that game. But I, I don't. I don't need to see how you run the rest of your business. If you want to do work for hire, blah blah blah, that's your business. If you're going for an investor, yes, you need it. If you're going for yes. a publisher, no. Uh, fun yeah. fact: I have never written a um, a business plan. Don't really even know where to get started on one. Um, in the first pitch, how in-depth should the milestone part be? Also, should you talk about numbers already in the first pitch? better okay we've already done the budget part so let's just skip the first part of this in the first pitch how in-depth should you be on their milestones i would say for the initial pitch um broad but an understanding of trajectory is fine um the further you get down like down the green light process the more detail i want um and I'm I'm not I'm not going to sign a contract unless I have a detailed milestone schedule um uh, at that point um so um for the initial pitch it's okay to go broad but i need to i need to have a sense of progression from you all right 
All right. So next one, what's the viability of one or two developers pitching without a team in place where the budget they're looking for is for funding to hire the rest of the team and fully develop the game? Depends. Um, um, again, like, um, if you're a new team, if you're a new developer with no experience or, or, or track record, I'm not going to, I'm not going to take you up on this, but if you're, if you're experienced and you're like, I'm kind of building up this new team, um, we've, we've delivered this in the past, you know, you know, I'm good, you know, I'm great, you know, I can execute. I've got these people in mind. They're really talented, but I need a commitment before I can get them on board. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll entertain that. Um, but if, if, yeah, if you're a first time dev, this is a no go. All right, hold on. I'm catching up. I'm catching up. Maybe. This th this is a good one. How do you become a game scout? What are what have you been looking for in people to join your team? Um, how I became a game scout because I just kind of bumbled into the role. <laughs> um, uh, I I just said yes. Um, it wasn't it wasn't my plan. Uh, to to do this like originally if I'm being honest uh, my dream job as a teenager was to be a games journalist and I have to be honest given the multiple rounds of layoffs uh, recently I'm glad I didn't go down that path um, but um, what do I look for um, I guess um, you you have to have a fixed skin if you're if you're a game scout or, or biz dev um, because you're going to be saying no to a lot of people and you're going to be saying no directly to their face. Um, I'm looking for people who are articulate and tactful um, because it's not enough to say, tell someone no. You have to express precisely uh, but sensitively uh, why um, you're saying no to them. Uh, why, I, you're laughing because you've you've seen this a thousand times before. Um, <laughs> I love the fact uh, that you clarified that you have to be able to tell them sensitively. Yes, I yeah. haven't gotten there yet, but okay, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like, it's important. You have to be honest, right? Yes. You, you cannot you cannot tell someone um, that their game is is good. But like, uh, it's just not a right. It's not the right fit for us now because you're 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 damning that you're you're damning that person long term, right? You need to identify exactly what's not working, and sometimes it's just telling them that like your fundamental uh, gameplay loop is just not working. Uh, you need to scrap it and start again. Um, and there's a way of telling a developer that 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 doesn't crush them entirely. Um, uh, you you have to be able to if you're passionate about something if you really really like a game you have to hold it here and not here um, because you're going to have to get used to loving a pitch and putting it through the process and ultimately the ultimate answer is no because the forecast doesn't isn't in your favor um, there are concrete real reasons to say no to this even though you really like the pitch. Um, uh, and you have to be comfortable with that. Um, you have to be confident. Um, uh, confidence is a skill, not a personality type. Um, 
you, I had to learn to be the way I am, to talk the way I am, because I have to get people on side, both on the developer side and internally. Like I have to present as you know, present in a certain way that draws people in. Um, so yeah, I, I would be looking for that from a game scout as well. Um, I don't know. I, yeah, it, it, and and I, I guess being able to see the forest through the trees is another thing. Like you're not going to be a specialist if you're a game scout. You are taking a bird's eye view. You're taking big picture view. Um, but the self-awareness to understand that that only gets you so far and you have to draw in other voices. So, it, yeah. It's a very fine line in on our side of the table to give that feedback without going too far down the road of that developer's just going to argue with me until the end of the day. So a lot of times when developers don't get feedback from publishers and they get frustrated they're like i just gotta know uh, they didn't say why a lot of the time is because they don't want to go back and give you too specific of feedback because one what they're not looking for isn't necessarily what somebody else isn't looking for and mm -hmm. two sometimes you will get in that situation where the develop I mean, you've already made up your mind you know you're not going to publish this game but the developer is going to sit there and argue with you for six months over email on it and it's just not worth it. Um, I mean, if can I just give developers listening to this a piece of advice? No, it's not. Um, do not, do not get into an argument over email for six months of a publisher who's yes. rejected you. Because guess what? All the Game Scouts are friends. I'm in a WhatsApp group where all the Game Scouts talk to each other. And guess what? If you start doing that, I'm going to tell all the other Game Scouts that you're doing that, and none of us will talk to you. I'm That's not in great that group. Yeah, 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 you do. Um, um, it's not, it's, it, you do not want to, you do not want to, if, if somebody says no, you may disagree, but just take take the hit and, and walk away. Because if you get into a shouting match, an argument with someone, that's a great way to burn your chances with anyone else in the industry. Because we're all talking to each other. Yes. Except me, apparently, because I'm not in that WhatsApp group. But I see how oh. it is. That's perfectly fine. Don't, don't worry. <laughs> I, 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 I love this one. Hold on. That was the wrong one. Um, oh, someone wanted to explain sensitive. Yeah, here we go. Explain sensitively why a deck builder FPS visual novel doesn't work. Because out of 500 publishers in the industry, I can count on one hand the number of publishers who will even take a second look at something that says visual novel. Don't ask me to explain that. But that's... Um, explain sensitively why I don't. Well, no, because all I have is a genre, right? I In order to explain sensitively why your game wouldn't work, I would need more than this. I would need a pitch deck. Um, my, my instinct with, like... Like I can tell you commercially, like visual novel is really, really niche and it's a really, really hard, hard market to get success success in. But maybe the first person shooter element completely mitigates that. Maybe the deck builder part completely mitigates that. I don't know, because I haven't seen the game. I've just seen three words uh, stuck together. Um so the answer to your question is I can't give you what you want because I need more nuanced information in order to do that. And the fact that if you put visual novel in it, 
you're going to get immediately kicked out of so much stuff. That's I tell you what. The tip: If you've got a deck builder first person shooter visual novel, sell it as a deck builder first person shooter and sneak that visual novel stuff in there. Or it's a narrative RPG. It's not a visual novel. It's a narrative. Yeah, RPG. there you go. It, re- it really is. And I, Midnight Sun's got away with that. So, you oh know, my god, maybe that's like the one part it. of that game that drives me nuts. I don't give a shit if Wolverine is my friend. Okay. It's like, I just want him to slice people. Doctor Strange, I I get it. The Sanctum's been destroyed. I know you're sad about it, but let's move on. We, I just want to get to the cool battles. I just want to shush, Stephen. Are you looking to publish games in unusual areas like Africa? Um, I wouldn't call do, do you mean am I am I looking to to, to publish games from different parts of the world um uh, developers from different parts of the world yes um yeah I I, I will I'll I'll take a pitch um from from games in, in places that I don't don't usually go to I guess like you you have there are certain countries where it's impossible to avoid that the level of support that they get um, and financial incentives they get makes it less risky. So, like, I'm always going to look at a, a game from the Montreal area. I'm always going to look at a game from Germany because you can put, you know, with a German game, you can say there's a possibility that we can get half the dev budget covered, and that's just going to make it easier to, to green light. Um but I'm not, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'll take a pitch from anywhere, um, as long as it, you know, it doesn't cause a international incident. I don't know. <laughs> like, I, like, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll take a look at your game for sure. Have any devs taken your feedback from rejection, come back with an improved build, and still get it wrong? Yes. I, yeah, that's a, that's an easy yes. But let's change that. Have any of them taken your feedback from rejection, came back with something built and gotten it right? Yes. Had you reevaluated? Absolutely. Um, uh, I've I've given feedback to devs uh, where they've they've reworked it based on my feedback and come back with something. Often, often the situation is the de- the dev is doing too much, right? Like they like one one of the things I always convey to developers is what's the core of your game, like. Everything else can branch off of that core. You can have all these different mechanics, but what's the central thing? Um, and often, um, uh, especially with newer developers, most experiences devs don't do this, but newer developers will have a bit, it's all over the place, right? Um, and I and I had a situation where a developer is like, you've got you've to narrow your focus. This is too much. Like you're trying to be too, too many things to too many people. And they came back with something that just, cut loads of like systems and mechanics but they found the fun they found what actually made their game fun and it was better for it was a better game because that stuff was stripped away um so yeah yes i i've i've had i've had games uh, that i've rejected come back and and they were something that i seriously wanted to to take on board um but the the, the actual question that happens all the time constantly daily the the other side of it is if you are coming in and you immediately say when we ask that question it's like who's your your demographic who's your market and you tell us everyone 
red flag yeah. because that Bye. it's not there's there's not a single game out there that that's everything to everyone um how much does previous experience developing games in triple a benefit the outlook of the developer who's pitching not as a lead or a founder but simply part of a team on a published game hmm. um i massively um uh i mean it depends on the projects that you've worked on and it depends on the position that you held um on those projects of course um but having previous experience developing AAA does benefit my outlook on the developer because it it makes me think that they're going to take a grown up approach to production a lot of the hard lessons the the mistakes they've already made in their career um and this is their chance to when they're making a smaller project this is their chance to make their dream game implementing all of the lessons that they've already learnt on at a larger scale um so yeah it, it does it does benefit my outlook on a game if if you have aaa experience for sure all right we're running up against you know my my time frame too here so we got like two more questions and then Joshua you're again you're on the discord server so yeah You've got the, even if Joshua or I can't answer anything immediately, just drop it in, in like the publishing channel. I, I will, I will probably have to roll out after, after this, uh, this session, but I will get to them eventually for we, sure. And there's tons of other publishers in there too, that could answer, you know, one of our, is our good friend from France, you know, Eves, who's always in there answering good questions as well. So let's see, we did that one. How long does it usually take from sending the publisher a pitch deck to actually signing them? How many months at least will that take and how long can it extend to? So the, the length of time I'm going to say is probably going to alarm some people. Um, it, it will take months. Like um, if, if you ask me like average, like two to three months, but it could be longer. Uh, it, it could well be a lot longer than that. Um, the con the necessary context for explaining why that's the case is any publisher that's worth your time has a due diligence process, has a green light funnel that all the games are coming through. Um, but me as a biz dev, me as a game scout, I am negotiating the time of people who are actively working on games that are already signed. And the games that are already signed will always be our number one priority. And that's honestly... The situation that you want you don't want a publisher priority to be the games that are coming down the line you want it to be i've signed a contract with you i am at you you are at my beck and call now right that's what you want but it does mean that if you're waiting on um uh, a contractor to, to come through the mail you're you're in for a wait um so yeah i i, I guess if you're pitching don't expect to be signed next week. That just that just doesn't happen. Um, you're, you're in for a lengthy process. That's a very good answer to what I would have just said. It's, on average, we see four months. That's what we tell people to expect. But the fact that you are clarifying that, yes, your priority is the games that have already been signed, there are publishers out there and I'm not naming names, but you can go to them. And if they're a small to mid-sized publisher in Steam and they have two pages of upcoming games listed, that's the type of publisher we're talking about. That's one where you can you can see. They're always looking for what's new. 
they aren't necessarily as focused on the games that are signed because they're out there trying to sign more games. Um, that's always one of those red flags that you have to, to look at. And so having a publisher who is very focused on what they're already working on, that that's a very good thing. Um, typically we see like four months. That's how, if you're doing something, I'll, I'll say this, if this new wave of investors and I don't know what we want to call it, secondary publishers from the mobile side where all they're looking at is KPIs. It's like, I know investment firms that have signed games in two weeks mm -hmm. because they saw what they needed to see from a financial point of view. They did a little bit of due diligence, but investors aren't publishers. They're not going and having to deal with marketing and all this other stuff. They're just literally giving you money. Um, that, that can be quicker but generally not so much on the uh, on the publisher side. All right, last question for the live show. If the project pitch is really solid, do publishers also appreciate verbal transparency of our personal aspirations, giving detail on who we are? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I want to I wanna know what the end goal is for you. Like, whether that be like, uh, the the purpose of this project is to set up a, a developer that uh, has a certain set of values or something like that. The purpose of this public uh, this you know project is to set up an IP that we want to you know have a long history with, because you know I'm not just looking for that one project. I'm looking for relationships, right? Um, and it's good to know that uh, a developer is a good culture fit with uh um my the publisher that i'm representing because then it means that okay this is potentially somebody that i work with long term uh we want to work on the sequel we want to work on their next new ip um so yeah i do want to hear that i guess i don't necessarily need to hear it uh day one in you know the initial pitch um but as we get to know each other as we go through the green light process it's useful to know that stuff for sure. It's a very good topic for the second to third call. Yes, exactly. Yeah. All right, Joshua, this has been absolutely fantastic. Dan and I have both struggled to keep up with all the questions that have been flowing in. So uh, we really appreciate your time. Um, if you have more questions, folks, discord.gg slash indie game business. Um, that's where everybody is. There's like 5,000 other people from the industry in there. Everybody from absolute new development studios up to people who have been working in this industry as long as, as I have and beyond. So there's never a question that's too dumb to ask because somebody else, I guarantee you, is asking it. Um, and there's plenty of people on there to, to answer your questions. Um, Get your pass for our next conference. That is 8th and 9th of March. Just go to indiegame.business and you will also find all of our links to the free courses that we have on how to find a publisher, on how to evaluate a publisher and your contract are on there. I think that's all I can come up with a plug for a second. Joshua, why don't you tell everybody before we leave how to find you and what types of games you are looking for right now? Okay, you can find me um, at Combine Hunter on Twitter. Um, you can also go over to wearesecretmode.com uh, to find all the information about Secret Mode as a publisher. Um, 
the kinds of games we're looking for, we've got four pillars. Um, first one, wholesome games, the kinds of games that you would see in wholesome direct, the kinds of games that kind of remind you of a little to the left, non-violent games, chill vibes games. We're looking for those. Um, we're also looking for strategy games. Um, a lot of the foundations of Secret Mode was built by people who are ex-Sega Europe. Um, so there's a lot of experience and knowledge on how to make strategy uh, strategy games work on a commercial uh, level. Um, we're also looking for narrative-driven games, uh, not necessarily like Walking Sims, but stuff with... Um, I know I've just said that don't <laughs> lead with narrative, and I've realized that one of our pillars is narrative. But I guess what I'm saying is you, you, using narrative in a unique way, right? Like, <coughs> there are ways that you can explore uh, narrative mechanically that's really interesting. Jay, your face. Um, um, and then secondary, we're, we're looking for multiplayer experience. Uh, lastly, not secondary. You threw me, you throw me off now. That's my um, job. That's what I do. <laughs> Um, lastly, we're looking for multiplayer experiences, um, stuff like Turbo Golf Racing, community builders, stuff that we can use to uh, build our Discord, stuff like that, so that we can draw them to the rest of our catalog, uh, draw people to the rest of our catalog. So, yeah, that's us. That's 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 the best answer to end all of this with ever. Like Just the punchline, the punchline to this whole thing. Um, oh yeah. my god alright everybody thank you very much we will see you next week and hit us up if y'all have any questions Joshua thank you this was fantastic and we're going to do this again alright alright All right. Cool. bye everybody bye folks Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business.